All right, Kyle. Uh, dedication time. So you, you got one in mind. So go ahead, man. All right. So I'm, I'm going to dedicate this uh, this episode to all the theater staff, especially the ones that are working this weekend when Joker comes out, because I think they're going to have a pretty busy weekend with uh, ushering people in and out with uh, costumes and makeup. So You know, cleaning melted chocolate and popcorn off the floor is... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, it's true. I guess every week, thank yeah. you, theater staff. Um, I'm, I'm there too often for you guys to uh, to deal with. So thanks again. And I'm going to dedicate this to, um, he passed away, but Jerry Robinson, the creator of The Joker mm-hmm. uh, in the comic books. Uh, not necessarily true. It's not 100%, but he gets all the credit of creating The Joker. So let's do it. Wonderful. Right. All right. This is the St. Paul Filmcast. I'm Nick. And with me again is Kyle from Goat Film Reviews. He just got back yet last night from seeing The Joker. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, before we get on, of course, we're going to have a comic book kind of a theme here and a horror movie kind of a theme. Um, don't forget, I'm going to be at uh, FallCon this Saturday. I'm going to have my own table uh, selling my comic book and kind of promoting the show as well. So if you want to see me at the State Fairgrounds, I will definitely put the link this time on the information to get uh, your pre-tickets. I think that today is the last time you can get pre-tickets. It drops a couple bucks from your ticket. Um, so yeah, it's 10 to 5. I'll be there 10 to 5 at the State Fairgrounds. Um, come see me and I'll check out my books, check out the podcast. Um, Joker movie. Yeah, uh, Kyle, I just you went to see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, just give me the atmosphere. Uh, you saw it like a uh, was it a press screening? It was or? an early screening with a lot of fans and uh, quite a bit of press actually. So okay. it was at an IMAX screening um, here in the Twin Cities, which was great because uh, there were so many people there that were really concerned they weren't going to get in, and, and they just barely squeezed the last few in, so no one was waiting in line too long. But um, <laughs> it was a very, uh, I guess. You know, the, the the climate around Joker right now is pretty controversial. There's a lot of people like nervous about just going to see it and just kind of about all the controversy see, going like around that. it. I like when movies, yeah. you know, remembering the tagline, like, God, I, only I, movie I recall like, people were like, you know, just kind of like, let's get to our seats. Let's get to our seats. <laughs> so we can start the movie. And, uh-huh. and that kind of like uneasiness really like moved right into the film. So, right. yeah, I mean, I, it was a great like overall feeling in the theater to watch this movie with a large group of people and i would suggest that if you are planning on seeing it go see it with with a good nice group of people because you kind of get to have this shared disturbed unhappy enjoyable experience with a bunch of people it, it feels like you get it almost like it feels like after seeing the movie it's like a stain on you yeah 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 it, it's really stayed with me all day today you know i've been doing fun things like shopping for a new headboard but um but this film has really just stuck with me uh, stuck all with right. me all last night the whole drive home like i called my wife when i was leaving because she was just getting off work and everything she brought up about work i was like yeah so this movie though like i can't get past this one scene and like it, it just it really couldn't get off of me you know? okay all right. Uh, definitely your full review is on it. Um, I just don't want to regurgitate all that you read, but you know, if you want people to stop and listen to what you have to say uh, about the movie, um, obviously there's been mixed reviews in the media. Washington Post gave it a good movie, not really a great movie. New York Times said it's all right of a movie. Some people are actually saying phenomenal, but you have this feeling that it's a wearing, it's almost like 
exhaustion after the movie of just depression. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely a movie that, uh, you know, just to kind of give you like a moment of what I really felt was there was a guy sitting behind me in the movie that yeah. multiple times throughout the film, he would just stop and go, oh, Jesus. Like, and, and there was people that were like laughing nearby me. And every time we laughed, it was kind of this, I feel bad for laughing. Like it kind of, the film puts you in a position to, to giggle at some comedic, comedic bits and then you realize that they're not funny and yeah. you shouldn't be laughing. Well, it's the, the whole Greeks, ancient Greeks had a major studies on this. What is the difference between comedy and tragedy? Tragedy, mm -hmm. comedy is somebody else's tragedy. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And I think yeah. that's that's kind of where it comes out with the film. And I, 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 would, I can suggest to a lot of people, if this is a film you're interested in seeing, I think the trailers really sell it okay. really well. That's the movie you're getting. If you're looking for a fun rom-com you walked into the wrong theater um definitely heavily influenced by martin scorsese from the late 70s early 80s mm -hmm. of taxi driver king to comedy of me even mean streets which robert de niro was in as well this mm -hmm. where new york was really in a tr moment of just despair you, you mean you couldn't go to Times square without getting bugged yeah i think it projects that in the movie this kind of gotham city of late 70s where I mean, things were just awful in New York. Oh yeah, there's there's a great quote, and it's in one of the trailers, so I won't ruin it for anybody. But um, where Arthur Fleck, played by Joaquin Phoenix, yeah. says, "Is it just me, or are things getting crazier out there?" And it just it it kind of that's how the whole movie is. Like that is yeah. their version of Gotham City, which is New York, Gotham City. Um, you know, is it just me, or are things getting crazier out there? And I think that really matches what we're seeing in the film. So it's a projection of in his mind mentally that the outside world is telling me to do this rather than inside worlds telling me. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of elements that go into his transformation and it's, it's a really layered performance. It, I've, I cannot stress this enough. I think it might be my favorite Joaquin Phoenix performance of his entire career. I think it okay. might be his best one. And I, I can't see a world in which he doesn't at least get nominated for best actor. Uh, it's yeah. He kind of has all these different elements that are like just beating him over the head, just wearing him down. And he makes a decision and he goes with that decision. So. Yeah. Um, naturally, uh, you think you know, Joker comes from the comic books, mm -hmm. and that's kind of a, a loophole. Not really a loophole, but there is a missing step to this, that actually the Joker comes from movies. Mm -hmm. um, Jerry Robinson, who created the Joker, you would think that when they started, okay, we, we got this Batman, Batman needs to fight people. We'll just throw stuff out there, it catches. And th th you'd think that somebody looked at a deck of cards and said, why don't we just use this? Um, Jerry Robinson and other comic book movies uh, writers at the time were fans of this movie came out in Germany called The Man Who Laughs. I think you were familiar with this movie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, we don't have the full movie. There's some reels missing, but we do. We have some frames of it. And simply mm -hmm. it's Conrad Veet, um, if you know your film history, who that is, um, playing a man who go through all his life. And he's not really say a bad guy or a good guy, but he going through all his life that he has this permanent smile on his face. Mm -hmm. I think if you Google it, you can find it. Google it. Um, they got the idea from that movie, and everybody liked that movie, to translate into some character that always had a smile on his face no matter what he was doing. I think that translates to a horror and a mixture of tragedy, that you're doing something very horrible, but to you it's funny. Yeah, and there's there's elements, too, of Charlie Chaplin in you know the early Joker creation and, and the way that he kind of maneuvers around, and he's you know, a bit charismatic and well, you, you almost see like that in yeah. Joker, you see, I mean, there's a, a sequence in which people are in the theater watching modern times, uh, Chaplin film. And you can see Did the way Arthur it in the views movie? it. Yeah. He, okay. Arthur views this a few moments while watching this in the theater. And he's just, 
so overjoyed and happy watching Chaplin in, in one of his, you know, set sequences there. Um, it's, it's really interesting. And in fact, that kind of shows you how much of a flip the film does, yeah. you know, evil Chaplin. <laughs> uh, W.C. Fields called Chaplin that dancing idiot. <laughs> well, with that, with W.C. Fields comes of a different trait of funny. Yeah. But Chaplin, I think was naturally a dancer mm-hmm. and, to cheapen him, it was call him a dancer, but he did some very technical advanced stuff at movies mm-hmm. and the whole playing with the very famous of the playing with the potatoes and oh, his yeah. legs and everything. Show that kind of a kind of a playfulness that it does translate well to a golf uh, to the Joker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, texture wise, I like the color. This color, this very it's bright, but mm-hmm. it's not saturated it's very 70s yeah it feels like a 70s movie i don't think it ever really gives you a specific date or specific year but we know it's the 70s it's been kind of you know stated at this point um the the production design everything from a technical level is really strong with the film like barring what you think when you leave the film everything technically is great production wise costume and makeup is amazing i gotta say the score is phenomenal i don't know if it's if it's a score that i want to go listen to again but it just it ratchets up the tension, it ratchets the mood and the tone up to 11, and you just feel it the whole film. And every time that score kind of, you know, moves to the surface, you're just like, oh, we're going through bad stuff again, you know? Okay, okay. Um, is there elements, I mean, does I'm, I'm assuming that he dominates the film a lot. I mean, though we have supporting roles, but this is pretty much him on camera all the time. Yeah, you know, if you'll notice on my, my review for it, uh, Robert De Niro is, I think he's the second credited actor in the film. Okay. And, I, you know, he's in the film for about six or seven minutes, maybe. He's, he's barely in it. Uh, Zazie Beetz appears in a few scenes, uh, Francis Conroy's in a few scenes, but most of it is him going through his life, um, taking on these experiences. I would say there's no one in the film that dominates more than 10 minutes of screen time except for him. Uh, and, okay. and, of course, he, I think he's in every single sequence. I don't think there's a single, like, shot of the film that at least doesn't have him in some form focused you know um going back to aquaman phoenix i think if you remember um him um after his brother died river Mm -hmm. phoenix died um kind of testing the waters he was getting small roles in movies everybody kind of knew he was but if you go back i think it was was the the movie eight millimeter with nicholas cage that really people said check out hawking phoenix as in the movie in this eight millimeter if you remember i remember seeing the film i don't remember much about it um it was that i could yeah that's cool I, I remember Nick, he exploded with Gladiator. Like that was that the was big a, one. Yeah, where he, he was like, "I'm here now, and I'm here to I'm here to show you what I can do." Uh, I will always remember him from Signs. That's my first like real interaction with him. And I don't think he has a whole lot of range in Signs just because his character is not really written that way. It's written right. to be kind of a little bit of the comedic, you know, fallback. Um, whereas I think just, just the movie itself, Signs, is so affecting for me. It's one of my favorite, you know, horror movies. Um, but if you go back, if you can find it, it mm-hmm. uh, eight millimeter starring Nicolas Cage, and he was a private detective. Yeah, on his, snuff films, right? Snuff films. Yeah. It is a very dark. It's not a date movie for yeah, this it at is all. Not a happy movie. No. And uh, Nicolas Cage journey through and finds a hockey phoenix. And this is when the reviews came out. There's like Nick Cage is fine, but really check out Hawking Phoenix. Really mm. eating up scenes, and there's a, a scene of Nick Cage and him in the back alley negotiating where Hockey Fink totally dominates the whole scene. It eats it all up. I got to go watch that again. I, I didn't even remember that he was in it. 
Right. You know, I, I got to go check it out again. It's one of those movies well, that I, a Joel I finished Schumacher it and I was yeah. like, I'm ready to put this away forever. Like, <laughs> but uh, it, a fascinating movie. It's just, yeah, it's not one that you're you're grabbing on the holiday season. It's a Joel Schumacher then. movie, which our guard is fast food cinema. Yeah. It's just, you eat it, get consumed it, and then you forget about it. Yeah. There's yeah. a friend of mine that, that coined this with Michael Bay, but I think it sometimes applies to Schumacher as well, where he says like, the man makes likable trash. <laughs> and it's like yeah, it's fast food it's like i'm me, not yeah. gonna you know i can't fault him for that because it's true like i like a lot of the movies that these guys have done yeah but they're not very good most of them <laughs> no it just translates to like i said fast food you forget mm-hmm. that you even consumed it even a week ago you just yep. went and enjoyed it yeah uh todd phillips mm-hmm. uh directing did they for you as seeing this movie I, I've heard a lot of, you know, uh, buzz about him as a best director for the Oscars kind of discussion. I don't think I would put him in the five top directors of the, the year, but he definitely is worthy of recognition. This is such a complete departure from anything he's done before. I mean, War Dogs was kind of his first like step away from comedy, but there's comedic elements to it. This is right. just completely the opposite of any film like an old school or a hangover or a road trip. Right. Um, that but this being, is something I think when Todd writes something, I think comedy is in the forefront yeah and i think i think he has a very good understanding of what comedy is not just what makes you laugh but delivery yes and how it can be used because you could read a script like the joker and you could take it as probably a more comedic look you know just like going into it it's all about the performance and how you can make those comedic things horrible yeah. You know, there are elements that you could see comedy. And like I said, when people in the audience with me like giggled and then realized like, oh, this isn't funny. Like this isn't a funny moment, but we just laughed at a, at a not funny moment. It, it's one of those movies that makes you kind of ashamed of yourself. <laughs> so, <laughs> Right. And I think that's what I think Todd is trying to investigate with, even with his character Joker, mm-hmm. that things, what is funny, right? I think that's a whole investigation. This theme is what is tragedy? What is horrible? Yeah. And, also, and in yeah. viewing it, you'll see that Arthur is is told by his mother in the film almost constantly that he's here to bring joy and happiness to the world. And that it's a very important like piece that he repeats. And he tells a lot of people, I was here, I was brought here to bring joy and happiness to the world. And it, in a way he does, but it's his joy and his happiness. Like that's right. the amount that he's bringing. Well, that's something that always translates to that character, the mm-hmm. Joker, that he's always the funniest person, no matter what. Yep. I, in, in his mind, I am the funniest thing ever. And see, that's yeah. what, something really fascinating about it. It's something I I initially was bothered by at the beginning of the film and, and grew to really love how they did it. This is probably one of the best uses of an unreliable narrator that I've ever seen in a film. Yeah. There's a lot of sequences where I stopped and I was like, wait, what's going on? Wait, who's that? Why is he there? And then as you start to realize like, oh, okay. So this is how one scene is going. This is how the other scene is going. But uh, it jumps around and it doesn't give you any ability to really stop and think if he's dreaming this is happening, if he's thinking this is how it should go, or if he's actually in that moment. Uh, And so like, there's a lot of time where you spend with him realizing that you know, he's laughing. Maybe other people are laughing. Oh, they're not. You know, like that kind of thing where it just really plays with your expectations and the camera movement kind of reveals things slowly as you go through those those sequences. It's really cool. Yeah. Um, a fast, there's a fascinating TED Talk. And I don't know if I want to His name is, uh, he's a doctor uh, in a university in California. His name is actually Jimmy Fallon. Mm. It's not the, the TV star, but he's a doctor and he gave this TED talk of what makes a psychopath. Mm. And if you read about it, it's, it's, 
he talks about it biologically, not not um, diagnose it like therapy, but a biologically way of how you get a psychopath, how mm-hmm. you need three different things to happen. And then you, I think if you read the TED Talk and watch it, you can understand the Joker, how trauma has to happen mm-hmm. and not just like see it, like it has to participate, like it has to be in your brain, like 3D, and mm-hmm. then your frontal cortex has to be damaged. Mm-hmm. Like you have to have some kind of damage to not process things. Oh, yeah. And then the third thing is, um, people who are born with more serotonin in their brain than usual. Mm. So you get overloaded with serotonin and then it gets flushed. You can't experience joy at the same level that other people do because your body's immune to it. So you don't Mm. appreciate it. So you have to find some way to get joy and they don't, psychopaths can't get it. They don't understand it. Mm. They think everybody, I'll show you joy. This is joy. This is fun. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So the joy does not translate well to psychopaths. Mm. And I would say, I would say to any any listeners out there who want to see the film, go see it first before you do this. But then afterwards, uh, look up some of the stuff that Joaquin Phoenix said about like how he created the character with Todd Phillips. Uh, some of the, like the discussion gets a little spoiler really into how the film goes. So like, don't look it up if you don't want it ruined for you. But go see the film first, then afterwards. kind of look into the right. yeah, like how he viewed the journey of creating the character. It's really fascinating, and it's just, it's another one of those layers that just adds to my belief that like this is just such a like career best role for him it's just what he put into it uh it's kind of amusing and just because it's sidebar but the trailer for birds of prey came out so harley Harley quinn who's the girlfriend of the joker and now breaking away and she's getting her own movie yeah it's interesting i I expected actually they put that in the trailer they did not put it at the beginning we got a trailer fascinating for for motherless brooklyn which was an edward norton film coming out soon yes and dr sleep Okay, and that's what we got. And I was actually, I was really surprised. I was like, well, obviously they released this today because people are going to press screenings. There's a lot of other press people that I follow online that were going to press screenings last night for Joker, and it's like, obviously this is going to be there, right? Yeah. I why would not. you put so, it in there? Who knows? I mean, <laughs> I was, I wasn't surprised when the It Chapter Two press screening had a Joker trailer in that because I was like, oh, I get it because yeah, they're it's, clown it's, people, it's, like right. you know, but. This was a prime example of, you know, moving the narrative on a Birds of Prey film, which I don't think has a lot of hype for it right now. And it's still pretty early in its in its marketing campaign. Like, okay. this is our first major trailer for it. But I don't think people are as excited for this Birds of Prey movie as, you know, as the studio would want them to be. This would be a great opportunity to marry it to, like, a really iconic, really powerful film that's going to dominate the film landscape for the next couple months leading to the Oscars. But I think bringing up Birds of Prey, this is the avenue I think DC has to take. These little slices that don't really mesh together. Marvel, don't trip cop, but I think these little slices of film standing on their own, like the Joker and Holly Quinn, just mm-hmm. by themselves and have directors have their own in, looks interpretation rather than file the follow like a linear yeah. path i think that's the strongest thing dc can do right now to stand out yeah is i i like the idea of them maintaining a universe still but look look at the birds of prey they're taking elements that you know these particular filmmakers want to take from other dc properties whereas they really liked harley quinn so we're going to use harley quinn in our story um you know the suicide squad sequel that james gunn is working on he's taking the elements he likes from what came before and he's adding some new stuff I think you can do that and each film can kind of have its own little flavor and really like visual appeal without kind of having that that Marvel stamp. Marvel has a very cookie cutter way of making their movies and they're they're great movies. I really enjoy them, but you can kind of see where a lot of it's going. It it takes a lot for a Marvel film to surprise me, Mm -hmm. Um, especially after 
23 of them. Well, it's, so. it, when you're doing what Marvel does, you there's an element of everything is just foreshadowing something coming up. You can't appreciate what is happening now. You're mm-hmm. anticipating constantly, this is coming next, this is coming next. So I think that gets a little lost in just appreciating the film that you're seeing now instead of yeah. just, oh, wait, this is just a stepping, you know, a run in the ladder. Yeah, and I think, I think that's with Marvel what they're, it's kind of their blessing and their curse is it's really a like theatrical TV show. Yes. Every new movie is an episode. Yeah. Whereas DC, it's like every new movie is a spinoff, you know, or like from a, from a new TV show to another TV. It's almost like yeah. they're doing what they do on the CW. I get it. I like, films, I like that. You know? Yeah, I like that. Uh, and I think it makes it kind of a special thing then too. You can go see these movies and see something different every time. Uh, with the Joker movie, um, do you see it continue on? I, I'll say this. I think if they wanted to make like a sequel, yeah, they could do it. I don't want them to make a sequel. Okay. Like I'm good with where the film ended. Um, I, yeah, I have a few. I think I have the, the same final sequence in the film or the final like scene itself. I have that um, same reaction with uh, a quiet place. Leave oh, it alone. Okay. Yeah, and they're making a sequel. No, no, no. Just yeah. let's leave it. Go ahead. Yeah, it's it's the nervousness about you know if you make a sequel that that underperforms you kind of you could take away a lot of the the good that comes with that first film i think joker tells a complete story beginning middle and end i don't think you need to see any more than that um and i i personally i don't want to experience any more than that like i'm good with um, give me back like maybe like give me a jared leto joker you know again like where it's someone who is i don't have to take them as seriously i think like joaquin phoenix's performance just hits it to a certain degree where i don't want to see what he does next i'm good with it you know, give me okay. some, give me someone else now. Um, one of the things that benefited with Heath Ledger, especially with the Dark Knight, is every even when he's not in the movie, they're still talking about him, and that res- that's kind of like that resonant of a, of a character that even when he's not in the scene, he's definitely dominating. They're all talking about it, oh, or yeah. talking about him and stuff like that. Um, the other thing with this is every time that Heath Ledger's violence, you never really actually saw it. Uh, mm-hmm. Nolan really didn't put any blood in the movie or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Didn't really see the horror. Your mind filling it, and did that kind of different approach to that joker that you saw uh so it's it's a more viscerally violent character okay uh but i also would say this i think the with the controversy and with a lot of people talking i think people are going into are going to go into it with uh visions of like an extremely graphic film i don't still think it was that graphic I think, you know, it's a violent film. And I think more than anything, when people use the term disturbing to describe it, right. they're really describing the character, the emotional journey, the mental journey that he goes on and less so much of what's done physically. There's some violent stuff in the film, but I think even hearing what I heard about it, I went into it thinking like, like lowest possible, like common denominator, yeah, like, like where just, it's just, it's going to hit these specific beats. Yeah. And for me, like it's like you're going to go see Eli Roth movie. Like, yeah, like I'm I was expecting ready to, like yeah. halfway to Eli Roth. I was expecting a full half Roth. Yeah. Um, and I, I didn't get that. Okay. Uh, that's not to say that I have a problem with, you know, Oh, I want my Joker more violent, but it's, it's when he pulls out the violence. Oh, yeah, but there are long stretches of the film where he's not violent, where it's just about what's going on in his head. So, I think uh, th- there's always the notion of the villain only thinks he's a hero in his mind. Mm-hmm. Do we have that sense in the movie? Definitely. Okay. Oh yes, and I think that's that's the strongest thing you can do with, you know, taking flipping the flipping the head and the narrative like 
focusing on a villain instead of a hero. It's a really tough thing to do. Yeah. Um, I, I com would compare this film, or I guess contrast this film to like a Maleficent that we had from Disney from a couple years back. Okay. They're like, let's take the villain from Sleeping Beauty and let's make her the main character. And what the film really did that was not successful for me with Maleficent was that it, it made her sympathetic and heroic at times. And it kind of made the king of that film the bad guy. Yeah. I, I made a joke like in 50 years, they'll have to make a movie about the king where he's a good guy and someone else is the bad guy. <laughs> just keep like every 50 years, we'll just pawn it off. With the Joker, he you feel bad for some of the situations he's in, especially at the beginning of the film. But he's still a bad guy who makes bad choices. Sure. And he is an, he is an unlikable character. And, and the, only, the thing is when you make an unlikable character, you have to at least make them interesting. You can put up oh. with an unlikable character if and they're I think, interesting. I think that translates well. I'm, I'm so sorry. To That's okay. <laughs> but I think that translates well to uh, Todd Films' inf influence with Taxi Driver. That mm -hmm. You have this awful person. Oh, yeah. And I, but you, you resonate. Even in the end, you kind of... Taxi Driver yeah. is probably the closest thing. Like, I've heard some comparison to Kings of Comedy. Maybe it's maybe it's that I haven't watched that film as, Deeply, as many yeah. times as I've yeah. watched Taxi Driver. I go through a Taxi Driver binge. Um, you know, every year probably. And this is the, probably the closest thing to it with just that journey into madness, into darkness. I think, yeah, like Travis Bickle is not a likable person, no, but he's, he's so yeah. interesting that you make up for it. And he's so socially awkward. Yeah. I mean, you, you take can a see elements a, of adult. yourself to it. Yeah, you can see elements of yourself <laughs> just in their journey where it's like, oh, I've done something that awkward before. You're you're hopefully never gonna see yourself, you know, in the Joker that way. But no, right. Um, it's it's very interesting in that you you can put up with an unlikable person if they're interesting. There's many films out there, gangster films, almost across the board. They're not yeah. likable people. <laughs> I was gonna bring this up, and I, I I don't know how I'm gonna frame this. For maybe you have your own interpretation, mm -hmm. but a lot of actors, a lot of method actors, would like to assign an animal to their performance. Mm -hmm. um, Robert De Niro, when he did Travis Pickle, always assigned that he was kind of a crab. He never approached anything directly. But he always stared at you, and then kind of sideways navigate a problem. He always mm -hmm. could regard him as a crab. Um, Heath Ledger, obviously, when he did the Joker, assigned a kind of a, a wild dog. In fact, he referenced in the mm -hmm. movie himself being a wild dog took his head out the window like a dog mm -hmm. crazy junkyard dog do you get a sense of kind of like a, a theme to that with this new joker kind of like like an animal kind of a persona persona to this i i can see a lot of like like a puffer fish at the beginning <laughs> you know in, in that he just like he, he grandisize himself he's pushed into a corner to the point where he's got to puff himself up to defend and sure. i think that's that's kind of where you know the Joker's journey is in this film, but it, it's so transformative. Like where he is at the beginning and where he is at the end, yeah. are two very different people. I mean, what he's capable of doing, what he's willing to do, changes from beginning to end so much. It'd be tough to me to place like a, a specific animal because he does make decisions that alter him as a person. But I think you got that right. I like but that like, reference. I think yeah. at the beginning of the film, he is kind of like, you know, he's almost like a scared dog, where he just like he, he's willing to let people hurt him. And it's it's gaining that strength through like unlikely and unhappy means. That well, kind of I, I like there. that interpretation because mm -hmm. that's probably the first time you ever got attention or affection yeah. is from abuse mm -hmm. and people abusing him. So mm -hmm. he probably recognized that attention and misinterpreted it as affection, mm -hmm. and now will do it to other people to bring joy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's a warped interpretation. I'm, I'm sure with him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, 
We're going to take a little break. Okay. Because that's a lot about talk about Joker. <laughs> and then uh, you're kicking off your 31 Days of Horror. Mm-hmm. And then after a break, we'll talk about that. Um, you want to give a little sample? What is our movie already start? Because we're already in October. Yeah. So yesterday we, uh, we did Father's Day which was a uh, trauma-produced film, and it's basically a big B-horror send-up movie, um, grindhousian in nature. And it, it's, I always tell people with this one, it's kind of like um, a really ugly car that you want to drive for a little bit. And go check out this film and go check out the review for it for my like complete details on it. But like Father's Day is a very strange movie and especially a strange one to start the month off. And today we also posted uh, the George Clooney starring... Uh, Return of the Killer Tomatoes was our, our film from today. So does he have his mullet in it? He's got a little bit of mullet. Hi everyone, this is Nick. I want to talk to you about an opportunity to be a contributor to independent full feature film being filmed here in Minnesota. Alexander P. Gutterman, the writer and director of the film In Winter, is working on his latest project, The Hunter. The Hunter. A film about a film about a play. A film director and her editor are struggling to complete a high-minded project about the vanity of human existence. Their film, which features pleasure seekers, thespians approaching opening night, a solidarity philosopher, and other odd sorts trapped in an underground labyrinth, is running into delays and problems. Alexander P. Gutterman is an exploratory European art house director working in the traditions of Tarkovsky, Bergman, Kurosawa, Kubrick, Vontier, Tar, and Jamouche. And just listen to what a critic said from his previous film, In Winter. It is a film of subtle, quiet power. It is a film that's going to haunt you, hanging around the edges of your consciousness. It is a wonderfully unflashy film. It is one that dares to take its time, and we are so much better for it. You need to see this film. Alexander P. Gutterman is working on his next film, The Hunter. If you are interested in contributing to this film, contact them on their Indiegogo campaign, or you can reach out to katrinalin.com. Any contribution is greatly accepted. The Hunter, directed by Alexander P. Gutterman. Starring Nora Tagonski O'Brien, is filming in Duluth, Minnesota, this October. And just listen to what a critic said from his previous film, In Winter. It is a film of subtle, quiet power. It is a film that's going to haunt you, hanging around the edges of your consciousness. It is a wonderfully unflashy film. It is one that dares to take its time, and we are so much better for it. You need to see this film. Alexander P. Gutterman is working on his next film, The Hunter. If you are interested in contributing to this film, contact them on their Indiegogo campaign, or you can reach out to katrinalin.com. Any contribution is greatly accepted. Oh, 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 
All right, we're back, and um, we're going to be ready a little bit with the uh, 31 Days of Horror. This is Ryan's challenge on his film reviews to watch 31 films in 31 days. Mm-hmm. Um, he's actually started. Um, I have a little tradition. I put it up that I always read The Murders in Rue Morgue, October 1st. It's my yeah, favorite that. detective story. First detective story, even though it's a horror story. Mm-hmm. But it's always regarded. That's why if you win a murder mystery book, you get a poll. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's not. Um, he's, it's before Sherlock Holmes. Mm-hmm. It, I think it was published in eighteen sixty something, right around the Civil War, actually. Mm. But your thirty-one days of horror has kicked off. What have you watched so far? Well, you've already given a sample of Father's Day. Yeah, Father's Day. Um, and and sometimes I like to go back and pick directors that I've reviewed before yeah. for thirty-one days. Um, Father's Day is directed, I think, by five or six different guys. It, Why don't you do an Alice really Smithy? Weird. Yeah, they they call themselves. I think it's Astron Six or Astron okay. Five, something like that. I mean, um, we're all we're familiar with the Alan Smithy thing, right? Oh yeah, yeah. He directed one of my favorite movies, Which Hellraiser is... Bloodline. No, uh, <laughs> so but five guys. Yeah, right. five different guys, and I think each one of them kind of had like a role to play with it, and they kind of just grouped together. It's almost like a broken lizard kind of a thing. Oh, I get it. So yeah. I didn't. It wasn't like you fired. Oh no, your no, arm. they didn't. They didn't rotate through anything. These are five guys who grouped together and, and wanted to make this film. <laughs> and I think they've broken up since then or, or I should say uh, Stephen Kostansky and Jeremy Gillespie went on to do a film called The Void which I uh, found on Netflix was that the one film in Canada year. that was on uh, Netflix yeah yeah it was on Netflix uh, blue blue poster with like the triangle yeah. and right. and stuff when Very we, um, I gave it cool an honorable movie. mention for, for the lowest budget they had it came up with some amazing it's, stuff it's incredible and it's one of those finds that you you hit right I, I kept page, paging past it on netflix going i'll get to it one day yeah. and last year i took the chance i needed one more film last year to like round out the 31 but it's like and it has all of it it's, 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 it's incredible. a gore fest it's a thriller it's suspenseful it threw everything out there yep it was exactly the kind of movie i was hoping to watch without me knowing i wanted to watch it <laughs> you know i came across and i said this is what i've been missing uh and i think they also recently did the two guys uh, went and did the the newest Leprechaun film, Leprechaun Returns. Of course, he does. Um, which is, I think it was a sci-fi original film. But I've got, I've heard actually some pretty good things about it, where people were saying like it's the best one since the first one. I still have not gotten to it. Okay. Um, yeah, I was I was a little bit too not feeling good on St. Patrick's Day to be watching that many Leprechaun movies. So, uh, yeah, we. Well, reviewed, you do have a green mic in front of you. <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe tonight, <laughs> if I can convince the wife, she's not a big fan of those. Um, yeah, we did Father's Day, and then uh, today we posted Return of the Killer Tomatoes. Um, I'm a big fan of the original Killer Tomatoes film, uh, and Return is a very different film. It's it's almost like the Dawn of the Dead to attacks yeah. Night of the Living Dead, where they like they feature the same rough mythology, but it's just it goes really off the rails, and it's it's a very 80s rompy comedy instead of a 70s like. Uh, airplane-esque comedy which is what the first one was so Return of the Killer Tomatoes uh, not not great but it, it's got like a special little place in my heart because it's it's that terrible and it features a very early performance from from George Clooney um, just without a doubt I love seeing these major actors in their first like horror roles when they just like burst onto the scene yeah you know, it was kind of like Jamie Lee Curtis mm-hmm she did all those horror movies before. Yeah, and he had a, he had a good little yeah. run of like some suspense, some horror, some goofy, strange films leading up to about. Yeah, like, we just talked about Dust Till Dawn. I think was like the last one where he was like, "I'm gonna do this," and then he goes on and he's, "I'm gonna be handsome." So try to be good respectable. Yeah. Um, is your schedule full? Uh, so I have about fifteen or so that have been like pre-decided, but some days I'll let myself kind of just roll with it. 
uh, see what kind of comes to mind. So okay. I know I've got a few like plugged up for the next couple of days here. You're not, we're going to regard, I mean, the Joker you could write is a horror movie. Are I, you not I gonna... put it down as an early review, um, okay. just like a separate thing. Um, because it's like the only time I really break the rule of like, you know, it's okay. I'll put this out with the rest of it because I really want, first of all, I wanted people to, to check it out before the film comes out. I don't want them to wait until November for the Joker review to hit. Damn. And I also felt this way I get one more movie. <laughs> I don't have to count it. Um, so yeah, like there, there are a lot of times when I'll, I'll check out films that kind of can border on that. Yeah. And I'm like, ah, I can wait, I can drop that or I can drop it alongside it and kind of have some fun with it. So is there any movie from last year, any horror movies from last year that just pop out to you that you really raved out? Do you remember at all? I don't, I don't want to put you on a spot here. So but. from last year's like 31 days. Well, 31 from, days or overall like a big the big one from last year that stayed with me throughout most of the year was hereditary i okay. i worship at the feet of hereditary i think it's a fantastic film um i was not big on midsummer if you guys had read my review for that i was kind of disappointed in that but hereditary is one of those films very similar to joker in that i don't think i'm going to go back to it as often but when i go back to it i'm just mesmerized by what i i think yeah. about it you know it's, it's not a happy movie that makes me feel joy it's not one I, I remember watching it and then going to work and and being like, this was a bad idea. Midsummer, uh, yeah. Hereditary. I hereditary, went to work afterwards yeah. and I was like, I don't feel good about anything right now and I can't be happy. <laughs> so uh, yeah, Hereditary was great. Uh, Quiet Place, uh, I think was phenomenal. I think A Quiet Place or Hereditary could easily have been up for Best Picture last year. They were both in my top 10 of the year and I think they both had elements of like near perfection. It's kind of a shame that it's still nowadays that horror movies just get neglected yeah and i think oh, yeah. get out is gonna help but get out is also um very much like a thriller in a lot of ways it, it contains horror elements but it's almost more of a thriller whereas i see like yeah. uh you know jordan pill directed us this year and i don't think us is a best picture worthy film but yeah. If there was any horror film that I would really want to get recognition, it'd be more towards the Us, because Us is really just kind of like that darker horror feel. Whereas Get Out is, is very much a, a biting social satire disguised as a thriller movie with some horror elements. So I think Get Out is pushing us in the right direction to get a horror film back on the best picture list. Okay. Um, I miss those days. I miss the days of Silence of the Lambs. Uh. <laughs> yeah, well... Uh it's it's still a kind of uncomfortable aspect of film nominations of getting mm -hmm. horror. Uh, even don't even like for makeup and special effects, it still gets largely ignored. Yeah, I mean, for all the wonderful makeup and special effects in Star Star Trek films, it usually gets ignored. Mm -hmm. But I, hopefully, eventually, gets a day when it just becomes acceptable. I mean, because Tony Collette really put it all out there yeah, for Hereditary. She, she was probably my favorite. I wouldn't even know if I would say favorite female performance female like favorite performance of the year was tony collette yeah i think she was so real and and she does this in every movie she's in i don't think we talk about her enough at all she she puts it all into into everything that she does like watch yeah. krampus she's still putting in the performance of a lifetime in krampus yeah. so we need to put more Tony Collette on our ballots. <laughs> um, one movie that I liked from last year, and I, and I think I talked about it more, is I used to, uh, You Might Be a Killer, if you've seen that one. I've, I've not seen it. Uh, it's definitely I've an homage to it, the, yeah. um, like, Behind the Mask, the Leslie Ver Vernon movie, where mm -hmm. the guy was, the, the video documenting him becoming the next Jason. Yeah. This is very much like that. It starts, um, You Might Be a Killer. If you look for it, Franz uh, Fran Kranz, who's from 
Kevin Woods yeah. and Allison. Um, Her- was her Harrigan? Hannigan. Hannigan. Yeah. She's in it. Okay. Pretty much them corresponding. He recovers from some trauma and he's covered in blood. He calls his girlfriend and they're trying to figure out all these tropes that we all know that. Well, if you say yes to, you might be the killer. <laughs> <laughs> so Jeff, Jeff Foxworthy made a horror film. <laughs> right, yeah, you yeah. might be a killer. Are you alive, but you got blood all over? Yeah. Well, you <laughs> might be a killer. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Did you go to the woods with friends? Yeah. And you're the only one that came back? Yeah. Well. <laughs> you might be a killer. <laughs> That's fair. No, I, that, that sounds cool. Yeah, I've heard some good things about it. Uh, the one that still stays with, stays with me is Mandy. Yeah. And that was very different. Um, kind of, I was hesitant because of Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage just had a great year last year. He kind of did. Like he had that, and then there was a Mom and Dad, which was another film that right. he made with uh, um, Selma Blair, in which all of like some, an incident takes place, and parents around the globe turn on their children, and like they 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 have this like Frosty, I must kill my kid. That's all that the plot of the film is. Yeah. Something happens, and the parents turn on the kids, and it's such a cool idea that is like almost well executed. Yeah. But like again, Nicolas Cage is fantastic in the film. Nicholas, this Cage is not is intentional. I didn't mean to bring up Nicholas Cage so many times in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, you even look at like things like his his voice work in you know, Spider Verse and Teen Titans Go, and you know, yeah, like, he, he just had, had a, a great year last year. Yeah, he must have got a new great. agent or something. But <laughs> <laughs> the funny because it just announced this week that he's doing this movie about a pig and he's looking for a pig and he's a pig killer. And oh all yeah, that. he's doing Pig Taken. Yeah, Pig Taken. Where he's he's Liam Neeson and he's going to or no, it's is it John Wick with a pig? Yeah, pretty yeah, yeah, John Wick with a pig. Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. I think we need more films that are yeah. some other film with a pig. My review from Mandy, uh, I gave it a high review and I just loved it. It's very cultish, very else. Like you're on drugs. You feel like you're on mm-hmm. drugs when you watch it. But when Nicolas Cage is the most sane person in the movie, you have a very. <laughs> just, it's a one man movie at that point. <laughs> everything is just. You mind everything is discombobulated, mm-hmm. even to the point the ending. When you see the ending, like what are what what are we doing? Where yeah. are we? Yeah. So I would recommend that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your criteria for horror movies? So to make, I mean, to make a great horror film, because the problem with horror is that there's so many subgenres. Right. So it's really for me, it's more of a of an enjoyable experience, um, thrilling. It doesn't necessarily have to scare me because it's really tough for a horror film to scare me. Like Hereditary is one. Last year, when I got out of that movie, I was scared through a good portion of that movie. And it was such a rush. It was such an amazing feeling to be scared again. Because when you watch yeah. as many scary movies as I, as I have, you don't get that feeling as often. So really, it's more of just like a thrill, an excitement. Um, I always like to bring in my like my, my testing class, which is bring my wife to these movies. Because yeah. if she gets scared, then I know that like for general audience. You use her as the barometer, go. right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, whereas I'm looking at the art artistry of it, I kind of like I watch to see if she's like jumping a lot. And I'm like, okay, this movie's gonna be good. Then people are gonna like this one because she's she's enjoying it with me. So you know, like we brought up like the Bye Bye Man last time I was on. Uh, yeah, I knew it wasn't a good movie for myself, but I looked over at her throughout the film and I saw her rolling her eyes, and I'm like, okay, so even like general audiences are not not gonna <laughs> feel this one. I was like, maybe I'm missing something. Maybe it's brilliant. Nope, no, it's definitely not brilliant. So, uh, yeah, criteria is, is tough for that because I really yeah. just want to have an enjoyable experience. Um, I, I want to see something weird. Really, it's weirdness that's gonna that's gonna win it for me. There was a, a great horror movie, and it was before Nightmare on Elm Street with Dennis Quaid um, and Kate Capshaw. 
uh, called Dreamscape, where the CIA mm-hmm. tries to get you and other people's dream and kill you that way. Mm-hmm. And the and that was you know you jump in dreams, and this is before Nightmare on Elm Street. This yeah. is a year before Nightmare on yeah. Elm Street, where people jump into your dreams and they try to assassinate you that way. Mm-hmm. Very political connotations to this. Of course, it's the eighties and CIA and all that stuff and KGB yeah. and all that stuff. But in the movie. The bad guy, he grows his fingernails, turn to metal, and they pluck the guy's heart out. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I think just a little bit that Nightmare on Elm Street got influenced from this movie. Oh, okay. Because he grew nail like his nails. Yeah, like they're like a very specific correlation. Yeah, huh. and I, 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 hopefully, if you want to put that on your docket to see, it's a very common. It's called Dreamscape. Yeah, I remember trying to watch it. It's one of yeah. those films I. Um, back back during the early days of Netflix streaming, you used yeah. to be able to have like kind of a list of what was going to leave Netflix every month. Yeah. And my queue would always come up with like, these are the films that you need to watch before the end of the month. I tried watching Dreamscape at like 1230 in the morning the night before it was being taken off and I fell asleep and I woke <laughs> up and it was off Netflix. So I got about 30 minutes in and I was like, eh, that first 30, I'm, I'm good. Like I'll, I'll catch it at some other time. Yeah. Um, but it's a weird connotation that that was used before Night Nightmare and Elm Street came oh, out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's it's almost like you don't have to be the guy that comes up with the greatest idea. It's just how you execute the idea in the right way. Yeah. You know, like we talk a lot about, no, you know, I, with that film, though, like you get these dreamscape things like that's it, it's a cool idea. And then someone comes along and has a similar idea and really pushes it exactly where it needs to go well there was a dozen movies before friday 13th where the killer used a hockey mask oh yeah and they were in canada well there, there's tons yeah. of slasher films before halloween and we still look at halloween as the, the first the right? gold standard because yeah. i think it is the gold standard but it's also everyone's like oh yeah i've been watching slasher movies since you know halloween i'm like well psycho peeping tom like there are slasher yeah. films before the slasher film yeah I think it's maybe the film that that created the genre, you know, where like people talk about slasher films is because of Halloween. So, do you ever visit the location where they shot Halloween? It's in L.A. where everything looks no, like. No, it's on my L.A. list. Is it really? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's one of those things, especially like. It gets kind of crowded around. I this watch time. Halloween <laughs> probably three to four times in the month of October. I watched, you know, a couple different versions of the film. I usually yeah. like, you know, we'll kind of put it on in the background a few times. And especially because there's so many different like Halloween timelines <laughs> yeah. that it's kind of like I have to go back to that one quite a bit to, to really get everything I can out of it. But it's it's one of the rare films that I can watch in whatever mood I'm in. I, I once watched Halloween on Christmas Day. It was at the end of the day. So like it's almost not, but I did watch it on Christmas Day. Um, I just, I think everything about it is great. Yeah. There, and that, there's little moments like, I think you know you I'm only 11 because it's just like, it. I'm not even going to take a time out. It's just going to be part of it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm just not going to stop with it. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's something for me where, you know, you really love a film when like the little stories get to you. Like reading an interview with Robert Englund where he w- worked on the movie Halloween. He did. He was one of the he guys did. that yes, was putting leaves sorry, yeah. on the ground. And it's like, that just kind of like warmed my heart. Halloween warmed my heart. So, <laughs> Is, Are you going to use any foreign films? Like from Japan or... So I, I tend to, I, I do watch foreign films, but I tend not to have as many on the 31 days. And it's not out of like wanting to avoid them. Yeah. It's more of a, it's more of a timing issue. With horror films, uh, especially foreign ones, you you really have to, I kind of have to take some time and breathe it in and kind of learn a little bit more about the specific culture I'm watching and that kind of thing. So while it's not something I never do, it's something I don't hit as often. Um, Okay. 
Yeah. When you're marathoning horror films, you really gotta, you gotta get some ones that you can really like palpably breathe in. And I don't always hit that with, with foreign language films where it's something I want to visit. Um, one of the ones I've been aching to watch is, I think I'm going to probably butcher the name. It's called Kwaidan and it's a uh, okay. Japanese horror anthology, uh, ghost stories. And I believe it's one of the Criterion Collection, actually. And I just picked up a copy of it this year, and I'm, I'm so excited to watch it. So I might hang that one in right near the end. Um, but it's about three hours long, so I got I to gotta mark out a good time period to watch it. So One of the ones that came out uh, last year that I really did like as a horror movie was Beast. And it came from Ukraine, oh, where okay. the, the girl is dating her boyfriend. Everybody thinks he might be uh, the killer in the neighborhood. And it's mm. very awkward. Uh, if you could check out the trailer, it's simply called Beast. But it has one of those, like, I would say a great ending to it. Mm-hmm. Um Definitely, there's a great scene at the, close to the crescendo of them have the dinner scene mm. where you get a certain revelation that it just flabbergasts you. Oh, okay. But it, it's a nice, it's it's kind of like family oriented. You know, she's she's yeah. a happy girl. She goes to church and everything. She's just dating the bad guy in the neighborhood and it's mm-hmm. called Beast. And you're wondering if, is everyone in the neighborhood right or what else is going on? Yeah, so, interesting. Yeah. No, I, the hor- or foreign films for me tend to be like a year-long movement where it's, again, right. like because it, it can get kind of stressful in the eyes to be reading and looking, reading and looking. So I need to kind of like space them out really nicely. So earlier this year, I got into a little bit of like a Del Toro kick where I went and watched, you know, like my Pan's Labyrinth, which I maintain as a dark fantasy horror. Um, and then I went yeah. back and saw Kronos for the first time. And I, I just loved Kronos. I got right, so yeah. into that film, uh, which is great because I, I I didn't know anything about it going in. And that's one of the great things, too, I think, about foreign horror for me is I don't know a whole lot of, of it. So getting to go in and actually deep dive into something unique yeah. is really fun for me. And I have the devil's backbone, like, logged up in my stack up to watch. <laughs> so, a, again, that's, that's another a, one that, that, a, that is, might make its way through. <laughs> yeah, the whole neighborhood. And the Is that the one where the whole neighborhood and the bomb is in the yeah, yeah. Yes. Fascinating. So that's movie. one where, again, I have not been able to watch it before, but, you know, been on this Del Toro kick. So, again, I uh, I kind of queued it up as, like, next time I want to get a, a foreign language film, I'm going to I'm gonna nab this one so great great um yeah. another one from last year i want to put in here heavy revenge well the no. rich guy brings his girlfriend to the resort yeah. and then his buddies come in and it all goes to crap mm. i've then, not caught revenge yet i keep confusing it with raw right <laughs> from last year well it gets subtra- it's 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 simple right mm-hmm. we all have seen it before but yeah. i think how it's presented gives a very new fresh approach to it it looks it's a saturated feeling it's all shot in one location really but it has a nice rich texture to the whole film and of course her way of coming back is phenomenal oh, interesting. <laughs> we're playing the ditzy you know playing this look like she's a one-dimensional wooden character mm-hmm. eventually transitioning to this person that you don't want to mess with <laughs> but it's simply called revenge which is it it sounds like a simple plot simple story why invest any time into it? I've seen it a thousand times. Mm-hmm. Give it a try. Mm. Jamie, my wife, if you're listening, please start taking notes because um, I'm, I'm probably not going to. <laughs> uh, yeah, last year was a great year for horror. It was. Like, and I think yeah. this year was actually pretty good too so far. Like I've, I've been shepherding the Ready or Not 
uh, you know, like waving that flag, telling people go check out that film because it's probably one of the most fun experiences I've had. In a Can we talk about a little bit of it? Yeah, because yeah. I I, I kind of missed it uh, pass through. So but. Samara Weaving plays uh, a woman who's on her wedding day is just marrying into this very famous gaming family. They're known for creating board games, and so already you have me snag because I'm a huge board game fanatic. Yeah. Uh, but they the Ladomus Gaming Empire, she jokingly calls them because they just they are like the Parker Brothers, like uh, almost like the Parker brothers getting married into the family. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. and it's a big deal to be married into this family because they have a lot of money and they're a very like snooty, sophisticated family. And so she goes, you know, the wedding is great and everything, but she can see kind of this like bubbling tension going on. And then she discovers that there's a ritual that they do every on a wedding night when someone who enters the family, they play a game. Yeah. And she has to draw a game out of this box and she draws hide and seek. Now the twist is if their game of their version of hide and seek is played with weapons. And if they catch you, they kill you. And then you're not going to make it into the family. If you want to win, you got to survive until dawn. And it's a really cool idea for a film just on the surface, but the way it's executed is also so much fun. And this is another level of like, it wasn't exactly a scary movie, but it does have a lot of horror elements and I felt thrilled. Right. You're in that weird uh, wooden panel mansion. Yeah. Right, yeah. You know, and it's, it's almost a singular location which works really well for me i really love when you can pull off a single singular location film yes um with some really awesome character actors like playing all these different roles you know there's people that you know i haven't seen in films in years that are coming <laughs> in and i'm like oh i missed you this is gonna be good so i i really shepherd ready or not and i've been telling a lot of people like i think a, a perfect idea for a franchise is not to just make ready or not two but to do the exact same film where she draws a different card every film and it's a different game. And I mean like literally like it's almost like a multiverse of these different films instead of just telling the same story again. Cause it's, it's a very like, I don't want a sequel if it's just going to be hide and seek with another group of people, but I would like to see them kind of try something really weird with it. Well, rich people are nuts. Yeah, you're always doing odd things. That's why. That's why I've given away all my money. No, no, there's another thing. Oh, yeah, I don't have much, but you don't have much. But but I do like that. Especially like murder mysteries. It definitely you're borrowing from two different eras, Mm -hmm. like almost like an Eli Roth kind of a thing, and then like Agatha Christie kind of merging together. To project this movie that's a little bit ridiculous, but of course you married into a ridiculous family, so it's almost like you have to play along to their traditions, even though it's outside the norm and then it you can have a little more enjoyment with the horror yeah, yeah. and it, it, it's such a relatable film I, I think anybody who has been either in a relationship that's gotten serious or has gotten married into it you always kind of have that moment where you're like god i hope the family likes me yeah and imagine yeah. if you had to make your family like you while they were trying to murder you <laughs> like watching the film i was like i was like i've been there i've known that concern <laughs> so yeah all right well Thanks, Kyle, for coming. Yeah. This was a lot of fun. I'm I'm glad we got to get uh, the Joker out there to everybody and Definitely, talk about yeah. that. Because uh, as we can see, we love the Joker here in the studio. Oh, I, I kept thinking about your your wall of of Batman <laughs> love while I was at this movie last night. I was like, it's like I bet Nick Nick would fit right in with this group of people who liked, who wanted to see the Joker as bad as they do. Well, it's a it's a weird approach that I think Todd Phillips is trying to introduce. That this is just not just a comic book movie. This is actually a full fledged investigation of movie it's it's a really it's a character piece in the yeah. best possible way and i think it's i think it's a horror film in some ways too because it is very horrific and it's very relatable god i wish in, they in could do the riddler really just like ways. that because the riddler is damaged in the mind 
Yeah, I think there's a way to do the Riddler, and I think it's going to take someone like a Matt Reeves to do it right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you could do somebody with the Riddler, who would you put as a Riddler? Who would I put as the Riddler? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Um, I would love to see, and I'm, we're probably about 10 years past where that would work, but a Steve Carell from yeah. maybe 10, 15 years ago, especially knowing where he can go as an actor now. I would love to see him really put forth because Jim Carrey was in the was in the wrong movie to turn in a serious Riddler performance. I like the actor. I just think yeah. that he was in a movie where the Riddler was going to be comedic and he I wanted him to be the Riddler in a film that was more serious. Yeah. And so Steve Carell, I think he can channel some inner darkness. He can channel some inner strangeness, weirdness, and also put some fun spins on it too. Right, because it's, 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 I don't, everybody thinks the Riddler has to act like the Joker, that it's always extroverted. I think the Riddler is more introverted than people think. I think it's all up He's in more his, methodical, you know, because yeah. you have to have a certain kind of like, um, like mental difference from other people to be able to come up with jokes and one-liners for your, your different, you know, yeah. Hor- horrible acts. You know, it's almost like a, like if James Bond was a was a psychopath. We're like, you know, he's he's got all these great like dialogue-driven moments for the Riddler. So I think yeah, you have to have someone that can that can really take the cheese out of it. And I think someone like a Steve Crow could do that. Um it's funny that Batman's has two villains that have their own movies, Catwoman and Joker. Mm-hmm. Um No, just just Joker. We don't talk about that other film. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Catwoman doesn't really exist, doesn't. Um if Marvel did it, mm-hmm. what, what villain would you like to see have his own movie? Well, I know we're getting like a Loki series on Disney Plus, but I also feel like he's become more of an anti-hero at this point. I would yeah, he's been, almost becoming not really a true villain. It's kind of he's yeah, they're kind of they're kind of yeah. moving past him in that sense, and it's yeah, yeah, he's he's less so that way. Even though he's been, I do have one in mind. I, which which one would you pick? Doctor Doom needs okay. his own movie. And then yeah. they were doing that for a while before. I think um, they were. I think they were. Before the the Disney Fox merger, the yeah. creator of Fargo and Legion was writing a Doctor Doom film. Because he he has his own damn country. <laughs> yeah, I think that one would work pretty well. Yeah, and I, just, in my head, I would love to see more time with Thanos, just because I really enjoy Josh Brolin's performance. Yeah, like I'm not sure how you could do a, a Thanos movie without a kind of appearing kind of similar to Joker in some ways, where like you're following this guy that you know is going to do some horrible things, but. Thanos is just such an interesting character for me. For me, Fantastic Four are kind of boring, but they have great villains like mm-hmm. Doctor Doom. And yeah. if you saw Doctor Doom in the cover, you're like, I want that. Oh, you know the one yeah. I would want? It's not really like, it's not straight up one villain, but there was talk of a Sinister Six film. Yeah. A couple uh, years back, all, yeah. back during the Amazing Spider-Man run. They were going to set it up with the second and third film. And as we know, that second film wasn't successful enough to go on and it was rebooted into the MCU. Yeah. Uh, Sinister Six, I think, would make a really cool reversal. And in fact, I would say like what Sony's doing right now with their villains in general yeah. is there's some real interesting ways that they're going about it. Like I thought it'd be fun to have like a Craven the Hunter film where he's hunting Spider-Man and you see it from his point of view. Right, I think we're you getting know? we're getting there yeah. in movies. I think eventually in about five years, we're going to get villain's point of view and then a little peppered with the hero. Yeah, and I think that would be a really cool way about it. Is I'd love to see a film where you, because with Joker especially, you don't get a whole, like you don't get Batman in the Joker film. It's, oh. it's not about, it's not it's about, not about Batman. Batman. Yeah. Whereas it would be fun to do like 
a Joker film during the time of Batman where you get to follow the Joker. And that's kind of how the Dark Knight did at some points. Like they really focused more on the Joker than on Batman in that film. Yeah. But I would love to see like one of these films where you have your hero developed as well, but you're focusing on your villain. You know, like a Craven the Hunter that's like a Home Alone movie on an island. You know, like where, right, yeah. where he's trying to hunt down Kevin McAllister. I think that's the next you know? evolutionary step is where we're going to get the point of view dominated by the villain to the point that we're just not going to get the hero until the last maybe 10 minutes of the movie. Yeah. And I think that's, yeah. I mean, that's the best stuff that DC has is their villains. They do. Like, you know, that's the best. Yeah. Outside of that, you know, the, the heroes are great, but I think that's one thing that DC could do right now to step aside from Marvel is really like get in weird and and do do what makes your comics great because they're not, they weren't doing what makes their comics great for the first couple of years of their universe uh they were focused way too much on trying to beat marvel or catch up to marvel don't try to be marvel they got no, their that's they we, got yeah, their we, thing figured out you figure out your thing so all right kyle well thanks again uh go see the joker and hopefully take a shower when you get home right yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's not over till Kyle says it's over. All right, it's over. Yeah.